Yeah, let's pray just one more time, um, just as the Lord takes us into His Word. God, I, I thank You for tonight, Lord. I thank You, God, just for the privilege to share Your Word, Lord. And, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that You would speak to each one of us, Lord. Speak to me, God. Um, God, you, You're teaching me, and, and I need so much to learn, God. You um, just taught me so much, God, even this, in preparing, God. I thank You for the preciousness of Your Word. I thank You for your faithfulness to speak, God, when we humble ourselves before you and seek you with the whole heart, God, you will speak. And, and I thank you that you're always faithful to me and to speak, Lord. And I just pray, God, bless your word tonight. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to thank uh, Pastor Rainey for giving me the opportunity, and I want to thank you, church, for giving me the opportunity to share God's word. Um, it's always exciting just getting into his word and, and um, every time you know you look at Scripture and, and ask the Lord to speak to you, He speaks so many deep things that you you know you might have read a verse many times, and 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 God just gives you a, a deeper revelation. But when Pastor Randy had asked me to pray about uh, preaching and sharing, um, at that moment I didn't have anything, um, and I and I told him I will certainly pray. I don't want to just um, by any means, just get up and, and talk in front of y'all just to talk, but I really just I really want the Lord to give us a word. And so um, I'd been praying in, in the days following, and God had just really been stirring my, my heart about something. And um, He just kind of developed it, and, and I really feel, uh, believe in faith that He's given me a word. And um, I'm going to share that tonight with you. But before I get into the message the Lord's given me, I, I wanted to share this with you or have you kind of meditate on this. Uh, because what I'm going to be preaching about tonight has to do with the character of God and how we approach the Lord and His character. Um, God has to be more than your pastor's God. He's got to be more than your church's God. He's got to be more than your spouse's God. He's got to be more than your family's God. He's got to be your God. Amen. He's got to be your Lord and He's got to be your Savior. He's got to be a God that Amen. you know in a very intimate and personal way. Because there will be circumstances, there will be crises that come into your life. And if you are not the one grounded in His Word, you will be very shaken. You know, many times we um, interpret who God is based solely on our circumstances solely on perhaps things that people have told us. And I mean, God gives us a church and He gives us a pastor to, to understand His Word. But God wants to speak to you in your personal time with Him. He wants to reveal things specifically to you. And I mean, He gives teachers and He gives preachers to help us understand His Word. But God wants that intimate relationship with each one of us, um, not just some of us. And I think sometimes we as Christians just settle for less. We settle for... <coughs> Just kind of coming to church and hearing God from then, from the pastor, and, and amen, I'm glad that we come to church and hear it, or, or we're content with just a, a Sunday school lesson, um, and, and then that's it. You know, we may speak to God sometime during the week, but God will certainly, to wake us up, God will certainly allow circumstances to come into your life, crises to come into your life to shake you up and make you realize, Lord, how well do I know you? How well do I know your word? How well do I know your character? And God, forgive me for not knowing it the way I should. And maybe even in that crisis or in that trial, 
God reminds you of the things that He has um, brought you through and the things that He has taught you. And there is such a peace in the midst of the storm. But you know what? I always want to walk my walk with the Lord as a walk of faith, looking at Him. He's bigger than my circumstances. He's bigger than my confusion. He's bigger than my hurt. He's bigger than my bitterness. He's bigger than all those things. And when I stop looking at my own circumstances and really look to God, God, what do you have to say? What does your word say? I really believe that's when God gives us the strength to go on. And he matures us in that. He strengthens us in that. We're not baby Christians, babies and kids that just cry because something bad happened. Because something bad happened. But we become men and women of God that are mature. You know, Paul ended up uh, correcting the Corinthians, telling them, you should be teachers by now, but you're babes. What is that saying that he's warning? That's a warning from the Word of God that we can remain as babies in our walk with him. Where any little thing bothers us. You know, we need to be coddled all the time. I don't want that for my life, and I don't want that for any of us. God wants us to move on in Him. Amen. God forgives us, and He, in His grace, He forgives us, and He brings us on. But I want to move on in the Lord. I want to be strong in Him. Um, speaking about that, I think sometimes, too, we, we solely rely, perhaps, on someone telling us who God is and not really pressing into Him. We sometimes can rely on a preacher's interpretation of who God is. And so we start, okay, that's who God is because that's who the preacher says He is. But I always have to be like the Bereans are spoken of in the New Testament. What does the Word of God say? Is it lining up? Amen. Is it lining up? It doesn't mean I'm constantly distrustful of men and women of God that God's put as a teacher or preacher, but I certainly need to be aware of what the Word of God says. Because if I begin to develop a deformed view of who God is, a deformed view of God will produce a deformed Christian. It really will. I want the whole Word of God. I want the full description of who God is. I don't want just one description that a man may dwell on. I want the full description of what the Holy Spirit says. What does the Holy Spirit describe God to be? That's what I want. I want the full picture of God. Amen. And God is such an immense God. He's such a, uh, an unfathomable God in the sense of in our, in our pea brain minds, we can't comp- cannot comprehend who He is. But through faith in the Holy Spirit, God helps us to understand the most humble of fishermen understood the profound mysteries of God. Um, God's Word is a beautiful tapestry of His majesty and His character. I don't want someone's knockoff saying this is who God is and this is what He looks like. I want to see the beautiful picture of everything that God is. Amen. And I say that to say this. I really feel God's having um, us just really get into His Word and, and really look at what it means to fear God. I think a lot of times when we hear fear, it's a very negative connotation. And the first thing you think of when you think of fear is that you're scared, right? You're kind of scared of something. And the Bible very many times warns, fear not, fear not, fear not. And it's speaking about everything external, right? Everything that comes against us as as Christians. But guess what the Bible says about God? Fear 
God. Fear God. And I want to go into uh, what the definition of that is. Um, but before I get to that, I wanted to read these two scriptures. And if you just listen to it just for the sake of time, I'm going to try to get through a good bit of scripture. Lord, help me. Uh, Ecclesiastes speaks about the fear of God. I want you to just kind of really meditate and, and listen to what it says. Ecclesiastes 5, 7 says, From the multitude of dreams and many words, there are also diverse vanities, but fear God. Ecclesiastes 12, 1 says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Alright, so what is fear? Uh, good old Miriam Webster says, Fear is to have a reverential awe. And an example that, it, that the dictionary says, like fearing God. To have a reverential awe of. Okay? And then sort of the very common sort of negative definition is to be afraid of. Okay? Um, to have a reverential awe. So what does reverence mean? Reverence means honor or respect felt or shown. Reverence. Honor or respect felt or shown. So what is that speaking when the word of God is saying I need to fear God? There's a reverential awe of who he is. right? His might, his power, his holiness. And there's an honor and there's a respect felt or shown towards the Lord. I don't want to just look at what the definition that Webster says. Let's get into the word of God and see what, how he defines it. And if y'all can go with me to Proverbs. And this may be too quick for you, but if you want to write these down, I'm going to go through what Proverbs defines the fear of God being. And we're going to start towards the beginning. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. If I'm going to despise wisdom and destruction, that means I don't fear God. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogancy, and the evil way, and the forward mouth do I hate. This is the Lord speaking. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. And we're going to go through the many times that God, we're not going to go through all of it just for the, time, the sake of time, but the Bible speaks so much about the fear of God, that reverential awe of Him. Amen. And it's not only in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament. And I want you to turn with me to Exodus. We're going to take a look at a very specific circumstance where the fear of God is spoken of. And this particular circumstance is also going to be spoken of in the New Testament. And we're going to look at that as well. If you can go to Exodus chapter 19. 
Exodus chapter 19, and we're going to start in verse 10. And I want to kind of give a little context to what this passage says. So if you remember the story of the Israelites, they were slaves in the land of Egypt. God came in His compassion. He came in His might. And He came and He delivered the children of Israel. Remember the ten plagues? This is the most powerful kingdom at the time. The Egyptians... Uh, are, have enslaved the, the Israelites. Uh, they're a mighty, mighty military power, and God comes with His own mighty power, and He delivers the children of Israel. I'm not going to go through all the ten plagues, but you remember that, right? And as they go up to the Red Sea, they're, they're basically their back is against the corner. God orchestrates all of this for a reason because He wants to show Israel His majesty and His faithfulness. So Moses cries out to God, and the Red Sea is split. Never happened before, never recorded in history. There's, the, there's a big split in the, in, the, in the sea. And they cross through it. And they survive, but what happens when the Egyptians come behind them? They come and they die. And so God is preparing the children of Israel as He's brought them from slavery. There's the, the allegory of coming through the Red Sea as a baptism. And then they're going into uh, Mount Sinai. And God is about to reveal His law to them before he prepares them to go into the promised land, okay? And so they have seen the power of God. They've seen the faithfulness of God. They've seen his salvation. They've seen all these characteristics of God. And now God is about to reveal another aspect of his character and who he is to them in this passage. All right, so let's start in verse 10. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. And be ready against the third day, for the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of the people upon Mount Sinai. And then shall set bounds unto the people round about you, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall surely be put to death. There shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be the beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. And Moses went, Moses went down from the mount unto the people, and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. I want to pause just here, here for a moment. I want you to picture in your mind, I don't know, maybe you've been to the, the Rockies. We don't have mountains here. Um, but when you see a mountain, there's an awe to it. It's this really high, you know, geographical uh, thing, you know. Uh, it's not flat. You have to look up to really look at it. And, and picture the, the people looking at this mountain, and in this mountain, there's thundering and there's fire and there's sounds that, that are, are very frightening. And this is the presence, this is a physical manifestation of the presence of God. And it says, And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. When the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses 
up to the mount, and Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down and charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also, which come near to the Lord, sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. Okay, now we read this passage and we think, wow, God is a scary, scary being, you know. Why, why is God, why is this passage here? Why did, I thought God is a loving God. Why is, this, why is this all this frightening, physically frightening things happening? And, and, and in, my, in my mind, I'm trying to comprehend this. But we're going to look at the following, following couple books and see what God's purpose was in this because we know the character of God. He's not a cruel God. He's not a God that's just out here to zap everyone and, and kill everyone, okay? Uh, that's what the devil tries to, to paint a picture of God being, if not the opposite. Y'all go with me to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 5 and look in, in starting in verse 22 and we're going to go up to verse 29. 29 being the key verse we're going to look at. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and we're going to start in verse 22. These words the Lord spake unto all. Before I start, this is referencing the same instance we just talked about, okay? These words the Lord spake unto all your assembly, and this is recounting, and the mount out of the midst of the fire, of the cloud, and of the thick darkness, with a great voice. And he added no more, and he wrote them in the two tablets of stone, and delivered them unto me, them unto me. And this is also when God was revealing His law. And it came to pass, when you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, for the mount did burn with fire, that ye came near unto me, even all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And ye said, Behold, the Lord our God has showed us His glory and His greatness, and we have heard His voice out of the midst of the fire. So acknowledging seeing God and hearing God. They're seeing His majesty and they're hearing His voice. We have seen this day that God doth talk with the man and He liveth. Okay? So they've seen that there's been a survival. God has spoken and man still has survived. And now this is them thinking. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more than we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that hath heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and lived? And they just contradict themselves, right? Go thou near and hear all that the Lord our God shall say. They're speaking to Moses. Excuse me. And speak thou unto us all that the Lord our God shall speak unto thee. And we will hear it and do it. And so what are they saying? We'll hear God. We see His majesty. But it kind of scares us a little bit. So you, Moses, you go speak to God, go meet with God, and then you come and, and tell us what He said. And so there's a very willful decision to put a distance between them and God. And, and look at how the Lord responds. It says in verse 28, And the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spake unto me. And the Lord said unto me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken unto thee. They have well said all that they have spoken, meaning they've really spoken what their heart is. Look what he says in verse 29. 
Oh, that there were such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always that it might be well with them and with their children forever. You see God's desire in Him manifesting Himself in that way because He had to show man not only is He a powerful God, not only is He a Savior, but He's a very holy God. He's a very holy God. He's not a, a God that we just casually speak to like our buddy. Okay? But at the same time, God manifests His holiness and His desire is not just to keep men at arm's length, but His desire is that we would have a heart to fear Him and to obey Him. And that He would be able to bestow the blessings He desires to bestow on us. You know, sometimes when you think of the Old Testament, um, you think, well, there's always the emphasis of man trying to make himself holy and trying to follow these laws. And, and man did that. He failed, right? Man cannot in his flesh at all ever, ever, ever meet the requirements of God. But I, I've been reading in Leviticus, and I ran across this verse, and it, it just really, really struck me because I'd never noticed it before. But in Leviticus, if you want to turn with me, Levit- Leviticus chapter 22, and we're going to read at verses 31 to 33. And in this chapter, God had just gone through all the requirements of the priesthood. He's speaking to Moses, all the requirements of the priesthood with Aaron. And he says, uh, Leviticus 22, starting verse 31, Therefore shall ye keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. And listen to this verse. Neither shall ye profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. This is the most important part. I am the Lord which hallows or sanctifies you. Let me read that again. I am the Lord which sanctifies you. That brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. And so even in Leviticus, types and shadows in the Old Testament of the beautiful full revelation that's going to come in the New Testament. Even here God is telling them, I'm the one that's done all this to begin with. Am I not? I'm the one that's going to sanctify you. And But he is emphasizing very much with the priesthood his holiness the reverence for who God is now you may say man Alberta you're so stuck in the Old Testament okay you're just talking about the Old Testament alright let's go to Hebrews Hebrews chapter 12 and you can't understand the full context of Hebrews unless you study the Old Testament you can't understand the full mercy of God until you study the Old Testament until you study the law. You can't understand God's true mercy and His forgiveness until you study that. And this chapter highlights what we just looked at in, uh, in Exodus and Deuteronomy. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 18. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, that burn with fire, nor into blackness and darkness and tempest. So he's referencing the physical, this physical um, 
account. And the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. Right? So there's that physical mountain, a physical uh, presentation, and, and these people didn't want to hear the word of God anymore. For they could not endure that which was commanded, and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned and thrust with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But, verse 22, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of a living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that, that speaketh excuse me, better things than that, than that see, see, that ye refuse not him that speaketh. This is speaking of God. And so what is the writer of Hebrews reminding them of? Remember that the very awesome manifestation of God's holiness, Israel's response was that, I don't want, I don't want it, I don't want to hear it. You have a new covenant, and you have the ability now, and you come into a new mount, the Mount Zion, and he speaks of the church, and he speaks of God being able to speak to us directly, right? And he's able to speak to Jesus, the mediator of this new covenant, right? Hebrews also talks about Jesus being our high priest. Uh, and, and we actually studied it, I think it was last week or week before last. Hebrews 4, I can read it real quick. Hebrews 4, 14 and 16 says, Seeing that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Now why did I go through that whole thing of the Old Testament and what is written in Hebrews? And this goes back to speaking to the full character of God in His full persona, okay? For me to really understand what it means to fear God, I really have to understand His awesome holiness. And apart from Jesus, boy, I'm in trouble. I really am. But thank you that through Jesus, even with the awesome holiness that God has, as I fear Him in reverence and awe and know that Jesus is my mediator, He's my high priest, I can come boldly into His presence. But do you know what has happened a lot in modern Christianity is that man in his own little pea brain thinks he knows what he needs to teach other men about God. And so I'm only going to talk about God's forgiveness I'm only going to talk about his love, and those by no means am I diminishing that because those are the pillars of our faith, God's love and his forgiveness. But there's very little mention or there's conciliatory sort of mentionings of God's awesome holiness that very little is spoken about fearing him in that sense. Because that's a negative thing and we don't want to scare people. That's men trying to interpret 
God's character. I need the Holy Spirit to let him speak to me what I need to know about the Lord. I don't ever want to come and share this word with you about what I think, who I think God is. I'll be robbing you of everything that God wants for you. And who am I to say what I need to speak about God and not speak about God? And please understand me. I'm not saying God will give a pastor, he'll give a teacher a series speaking about an aspect of God. But do you see the importance of reading the full word of God, of understanding his full character to really grow in what he wants me to grow? Because if I don't allow God to teach me what it means to reverence him, I will very casually come and sit down with God like my, he's my buddy. And I don't, let, I don't let him speak to conviction of my life, rebellion in my life, pride in my life. I don't let him speak to that. Because all I'm focusing on is, well, God's my buddy. Am I taking away anything about Jesus being the mediator and speaking of legalism? Absolutely not. But do you see when man tries to drive the way we should grow in the Lord and our understanding of the Lord and the danger that comes with that? Okay. This is not my personal interpretation. Let's go to the Word of God. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read verses 15 to 19. And I apologize, y'all. I'm trying to fly through a lot of scriptures here. 1 Peter 1, verse 15, starting in verse 15, it says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That's sobering and convicting right there. Be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Verse 17 and if you call on the Father, he's always pointing back to the Father, right? And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons, judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in relaxation. What does it say? In fear. Some people read that, no, we don't want to scare people away. Don't just kind of mention that in reference, you know. It says right here, Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. And we just, we've gone through the full definition of fear, right? It doesn't mean just to be scared, to be scared of God. He's going to zap me with, a, with some lightning, so I better be, be good. Verse 18, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. What is Peter reminding them of? You should live soberly in fear because look at where you came from. Look at, at, at what God did. He sacrificed his only son. Very precious thing that God did for me. Should really encourage me and cause me to be sober and fear God to think what God did for me was free to me, but it was by no means cheap. And God is not some casual little entity that I talk to when I need something. He is an incredibly awesome, holy God. God, help me to fear you. Help me to reverence you in my walk with you. Amen. Look into Jesus always. 
First Peter chapter two. This is Peter's admonishment to the church. And in this passage, guess what he calls the church? The holy priesthood. Okay, and this is referencing back to the Old Testament, what is spoken of in the priesthood in the Old Testament. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Okay? We know that this is not speaking of me earning my salvation, me doing works to make God feel better about me. It's not what it's speaking about, right? But it's speaking as our duty as Christians to be a holy priesthood and offer up spiritual sacrifices. And they're not just spiritual sacrifices that Alberto thinks are really good for God. You know, this is really going to please God. I think, God, I think this is what is going to please you. So this is what I think needs to be said or this needs to be done or this is the ministry. You know what? I need to speak of a blessing ministry. And so name it and claim it. I'm going to start this ministry. Do you see the manifestations in modern Christianity of man trying to give his own interpretation of God? What is... What does Peter qualify this with? He says, through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's inspired him to write this. What does he say? Acceptable to God. Acceptable to God. And I just lost my place. <laughs> Verse 5. Wherefore also as it is contained in the scripture, behold, I in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. There's not confusion when I believe in the Lord. Unto you therefore, which believe he is precious. He is precious. He is a precious treasure. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling, a stone of stumbling is for those that are disobedient, and a rock of offense. Even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto they also they are appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness unto his marvelous light. Our life should proclaim the praises of him who's called me out. Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not attained mercy, but now have obtained mercy, testimonies of what God, how God is changing my life. Amen. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, okay, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest amongst the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. And guys, it's not just a mystical thing that God is speaking of. It's the very practical thing God is speaking of. Your life should reflect Jesus. And he gives very practical, very practical explanations. Be obedient. Abstain from fleshly uh, lusts. Be honest when you're speaking to people, right? Um, do you think God is just God just wants us to hear us say that we love him? Or that God's somehow impressed with words? What does God look at? God looks at a heart, doesn't he? And, and we can speak about the love of God. We can speak that we love God. Just love God, love God, love God, love God. And amen, I'm all for that. Uh, Corinthians in chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul emphasizes the importance of love. 
But is love just some sort of like fluffy, feel-good thing in the Bible? It's not. You know, Jesus speaks very specifically to the people that he's ministering to what loving him really means. And I want to understand that if I want to know and understand who God is, I want to know what he says it means for me to love him. Okay? And this is not my interpretation of the Bible. Let's go to the Word of God. Go with me to John chapter 14, and we'll conclude soon. John chapter 14, this is Jesus speaking. And John is known as the apostle that loved Jesus. Love was a very big theme in, in John's ministry. John chapter 14, starting verse 15, it says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And in the verse 16 and 17, he speaks about beckoning the Holy Spirit to come and be a comforter to, to the men and women of God. Verse 21, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. So love is being defined here, isn't it? It's defined by what? Obedience. Okay. John chapter 15, verse 14 says, If you are my friends, ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. God's always beckoning a response from man. It doesn't mean it's my ability. It doesn't mean it's my performance. Let's be very clear about what the Word of God says. Not what Alberto says. What does the Word of God say? His obedience, or, or, or my love, loving God is a response to Him. It's obeying Him. It's not performing. It is not a performance. It is not a performance. I'm not helping God. I'm simply obeying him. Y'all, it's so important to study the word of God, to know it. Second John chapter 6, uh, just listen. It says, And this is love that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. There's a response, isn't there? Amen. I'll read this, just listen. Luke eleven twenty seven 27 to 28 says, and this passage speaks to men proclaiming things, okay, and what God's looking for. It came to pass as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the patch which thou hast sucked. But he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Amen. Isaiah 29, 13 and 14. Please listen. This is the word of God, the Holy Spirit speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And he's prophesying. He says, Therefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. 
What is God saying there? I'm tired of your words. I'm tired of empty words. I want your heart. That's what he said in Deuteronomy. Even in the manifestation, the very terror, terrible manifestation in the sense of, of uh, you know, the lightning and the fire, God wasn't doing it to scare the people. His, his desire in that is that they would learn to fear him and that their hearts would be drawn to him. God's not, in, the, in, in Isaiah also speaks, you know, they would do all these fasts and they'd cry and they'd pray and all these things. But God was looking at their heart. He wanted their heart. And he didn't want men teaching other men what the fear of God. God wanted to teach them what the fear of God was. Amen. And I want, us, I want the Lord to do that in me, to do that in us. Amen. Teach me, Lord, what it means to fear you. It's not something legalistic. It's not the Old Testament. It's not following the Ten Commandments. That, not, that is not what fear is. But your holiness demands a response from me in faith. It really does. Fearing God is not some negative thing. It's not some Debbie Downer thing. Okay, it's not. There's a tremendous blessing. There's a tremendous life that comes growing in life when, we, when God, we allow God to teach us what it means to fear Him. I'm not going to um, go through all of these. Uh, we just won't have time, but we'll finish with this. I wanted to go through and just mention some of the things. If you um, pull up an app or pull up an, a reference book and look up fear, you'll find many mentions of it. But in Psalms, there are beautiful psalms that speak about fearing God, about what the fear of God brings. And I'm just going to go through a couple of them, okay? Fearing God will clean me and teach me. Psalms 19.9 says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of God are true and righteous altogether. Psalms 25.12 says, Who is the man who fears the Lord? And this is from the Amplified. Who fears the Lord with awe-inspired reverence and worships him with a submissive wonder. He will teach him through his word in the way he should choose. God will show me when I fear him. He'll show me the right decisions I need to make. The secret of the wise counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he will let them know his covenant and reveal to them through his word its deep inner meaning. That's incredible. Psalms 25, 14. I'm reading that from the Amplified. Psalm 64, 9 of the Amplified says, Then all men will fear God's judgment. They will declare the work of God and they will consider and wisely acknowledge, wisely acknowledge what He has done. Fearing God, there's, a, a, there's instruction that I should worship Him. Psalms 2.11 says, Worship the Lord and serve Him with reverence, with awe-inspired fear, submissive wonder. Rejoice with trembling. Psalms 5, 7 says, But as for me, I will enter your house through the abundance of your steadfast love and tender mercy. At your holy temple, I will fear, bow obediently in reverence for you. That should be our cry in worshiping Psalms 5, 7, entering God's house. Psalms 22, 23 says, You who fear the Lord with awe-inspired reverence, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him, fear him with submissive wonder, all your descendants of Israel. I love how the Amplified, when you read in the Amplified, it goes through and explains what that fear is. It keeps repeating with submissive wonder. A submission is a surrendering, isn't it? The fearing God is a blessing. Psalms 31, 19 says, Oh, how great is thy goodness, 
which thou hast laid upon for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Psalms 33, 18 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy. Psalm 60, verse 4 says, You have set up a banner. You have set up a banner for those who fear you with awe-inspired reverence and submissive wonder, a banner to shield them from attack, a banner that may be displayed because of the truth. Selah. Psalm 61, 5 says, You have heard my vows, O God. You have given me the inheritance of those who fear your name. When I fear God's name, I receive the inheritance, the spiritual truths that God's given other people. Men of God, I receive that too. Psalms 128 says, verse 1, Blessed, a happy and sheltered by God's, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and worships Him with obedience, who walks in His ways and lives according to His commandments. I brother, if you keep speaking about the fear of God, people are going to be sad, they're going to be depressed, don't talk about that. What does the Word of God say? It brings happiness, it brings blessing. Amen? Y'all, I'm just passionate because this, this is what the Word of God says. Amen. He will fulfill the desires of those who fear Him and worship Him. He also will hear their cry and save them. Psalms 85, 9 says, Surely His salvation is near to those who reverently fear Him and obey Him with submissive wonder. That glory may dwell in our land. Psalms 103.11 says, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His loving kindness towards those who fear and worship Him. There's a manifestation of His loving kindness when I fear God. Incredible. Just as a father loves his children, so the Lord loves those who fear and worship Him with all-filled respect and deepest reverence. He loves me like a father when I fear Him. Psalms 34, 7 through 9 says, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. So what does that passage say? That God's going to protect me? And God is going to give me everything that I need when I fear Him. Psalms 147, and I'm just about to wrap up. Don't want to overwhelm y'all with this, but isn't it incredible? Incredible, incredible when we fear the Lord. Psalms 147.11 says, The Lord favors those who fear Him and worship Him with awe-inspired reverence and obedience. Those who wait for His mercy and loving kindness. You know, sometimes I think when we fear the Lord in faith, there's a temptation when we don't see an immediate result that we just think, well, maybe I was doing this in my flesh. Maybe I was maybe being legalistic. Maybe I'm, you know, all this confusion comes. Okay? When I believe the Word of God in faith and let Him move, He's going to move in a mighty way and He's going to do way more. He's going to bring revival He's going to bring blessing. He's going to bring life in the way He wants to. Because what does this say? 
those who wait for his mercy and loving kindness, there's going to be a tremendous manifestation of his mercy and loving kindness when I fear God. Psalms 130, verse 4, is going to speak about forgiveness. And I want to, before, as I'm finishing up, I want you all to remember what Peter said about fearing God and what um, Hebrews spoke, reminding them of God, everything that God had forgiven us and brought us from. God's acknowledging what God has forgiven us of should drive me to fear Him. God has forgotten and forgiven me of my past, but let me never ever forget what God has saved me and delivered me from. Psalms 130 verse 4 says, But there's forgiveness with you that you may be feared and worshipped. So there's a response to it, right? I'm going to finish with these couple of verses and then I'll finish with something in Psalms 115. Just, this is the Word of God, y'all. The Word of God. Proverbs 15, 16 says, Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Sometimes there may be discouragement. When I'm fearing God, there seems like there's very little with me. But the Word of God says that it's better than great treasure and the trouble that comes with it. Psalms 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and he that hath it shall be satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. Let me read this verse again. Very, very important. Proverbs 19.23, The fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and he that hath it shall be satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. There's a satisfaction spiritually that God brings to your life when you fear Him. And there won't be evil that will visit you. Okay? Y'all, uh, turn to Psalms. I want you to read this with me in, in, in concluding. I'm sorry, I went a little long, y'all. Psalms 115. I want this passage to be an encouragement and to be a prayer. And Steve, if you want to come and, and get ready to play, so we can, this can be kind of, a, in a way, an altar call to the Lord. Psalms 115, 11 to 13. I'm going to read from the Amplified. You can follow along in, in your Bible. It says, you who reverently fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear and worship the Lord with awe-inspired reverence and submissive wonder, both the small and the great. I want you guys to, to, to look at what verse 12 says. God is mindful of us when we fear Him, and He will bless us. And I can't emphasize again, fear is not a, fearing the Lord is not a negative thing. It's not I'm scared of Him. There's a reverential awe of Him. There's an acknowledgement of His holiness. 
And Peter, through the Holy, the Holy Spirit, through Peter, reminds me that as a Christian that I should live my life in fear. I believe he's speaking about the fear of God. Remembering the tremendous sacrifice that Jesus made for me. And the same God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. There wasn't the full revelation. There wasn't Jesus in the Old Testament. But He's the same Holy God. He's the same Holy God that requires a reverence and awe in approaching Him. And I certainly can't approach Him in my own power, in my own might. It must be through Jesus. But this aspect of God, fearing Him and His holiness... I pray that God would teach me. I'm a very flawed man. I pray that God would teach me what it really means to fear Him. And it doesn't mean that there's a distance between me and Him. There isn't. Quite the opposite. Hebrews says that God wants me to come in like the Israelites couldn't come in. But it requires a surrendering on my part. It, it requires a humbling in myself. It requires an acknowledgement of how many times how many times I have offended God. There's a soberingness, there's a, a, a sobriety, I'm sorry, that comes when I really when God teaches me what it means to fear Him. The many things I laugh at, the many things I listen to, if I really let the Holy Spirit show me what that means, many of those things, I can't believe I looked at that. I can't believe and y'all it's not a legalistic thing. It's God sanctifying me it's God molding me to be a man and woman be for you to be a man or woman of God strong in him holy in his presence showing forth his praises like Peter speaks about amen and if you can just make an altar where you are where God has you to be if you could just really pray and spend some time with the Lord and Lord God I, I thank you God for your word Lord and I, I know we've been long tonight God but I thank you for what your word says, for your word says that you are God. And I thank you, God, that there's a tremendous blessing. There's a tremendous satisfaction. God, not when I try to do something, but God, when I respond in obedience to what you're telling me, Lord. I pray, give me that heart. Lord, I pray, give me a submissive heart. I pray that you would give me a reverent heart, Lord. And I pray, forgive me for the many times, God, I don't walk in your fear. There are many times I walk very flippantly in, in this life, God, not aware, not even desiring God to honor you in my, in my conversation and the things that I do, Lord. I pray as Peter speaks, God, that I would, I would live my time here sojourning in fear, God, a reverential awe of who you are, and as a result, very practically, obeying you, God, obeying what you convict me of, God. Let me not quench the Holy Spirit. Let me not um, um, push away the convictions that your Holy Spirit brings, God. I pray, Lord, please speak to us. Grow us as a church, Lord. Pray that you would manifest your Holy Spirit in a mighty way. You have a plan for us. You have a plan for this people. You have chosen, you have made us a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Lord, help us to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable unto you as an honor to you, Lord. Not that we could ever pay you back, as an honor to you, Lord, and what you've done. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your promises. I thank you for the promises of your word. I thank you that you protect us, you satisfy us, you provide for us, Lord, that you bring life to us, God.
Give us faith, God, to continue pressing on. Even when we may not see any results right now with our physical eyes, God, there is a blessing when we obey you. There is a tremendous blessing when we obey you, God.